the third anniversary of the podcast, Edwin, and a movie that you've changed your opinion about over time and how your opinion of the pod has changed over time. I don't actually yes. have a movie like that. It's a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you f- <laughs> Craig, 143. Daniel, 143. Tyler, 143. <laughs> Energy's high today. Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 143. If you're into numerology, those are good numbers for me. So I uh, am curious what will be happening the week that you hear this. <laughs> if something disastrous happens, you know that numerology is a complete sham. But my lucky numbers are seven and eight. So when things add up to seven or eight, I'm very happy. Today is our third anniversary of this podcast. That's how quickly three years go by, guys. We started this in March of 2020, and here we are, March of 2023, COVID pandemic essentially in the rearview mirror, uh, World War III somewhere out ahead of us. We don't know when that's happening, but it looks eminently soon. Banking collapse, maybe, maybe not happening at this time. War in Ukraine a year in, but we're still together. Today, we are talking about, as the topic of our third anniversary, a movie that we had one opinion on when we were younger, and actually over time, our opinion has changed. That could be for the good, for the better, but that's one of those weird, interesting things that happens in movies is there's a way you felt about a movie, maybe you didn't get it when you were younger, or maybe you loved it and thought it was the greatest thing ever, and then suddenly 10, 20, 30 years go by, and you look back and you're like, huh, I see this now totally differently. Either it was amazing and I, I was just slow to it, or actually it wasn't as great as I thought. But that alchemy of it changing over time is interesting. And we're also going to talk about how our feelings about the podcast, podcasting, and, and what we do over the last three years itself has changed. Who is with us? What's up? It's Daniel. Hey, gamers. It's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the People's Champion. Here with a guy who I like more every day, Edwin Gomez. <sighs> Hello, America. Ah, it's another day, another dollar, another rainy day. Talking about pictures and this anniversary spiel thingy. Yeah, I'm here always. Hey, thanks for being here, brother. <laughs> like, like an eternal. Yes, yeah, yes, Craig. <laughs> like an eternal. I pop in, I pop out. I think you are. I think you're one of Young's eternal archetypes. I don't know what the f that means, Craig. <laughs> He's a creature of the Fae. There you go. Well, and I'm Craig, the founder and programmer of Secret Movie Club. Uh, it is wonderful to have you guys here. Secret Movie Clubbers, by the time you hear this, we will be wrapping up our March musical madness. Tonight, come join us. We're doing, I'm hoping, a pretty killer double. I mean, I, you always hope they're killer doubles. This one, though, should be interesting in what it's saying, like the dialogue it's having. We're doing the Led Zeppelin concert movie, The Song Remains the Same, from the 1970s. And then, in some ways, the movie it intentionally and unintentionally inspired, this is Spinal Tap which was really in some ways, not the first, but you can kind of look at it as the start of the mockumentary genre, which in some ways Christopher Guest almost single-handedly pioneered. And then tomorrow we will almost certainly have seats because there are 2000 seats in the theater, but we're recording this early and we're already nearing 500 people who are going to be there, which is pretty exciting. Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai on 35 millimeter at the Million Dollar Theater. And then Monday and Tuesday, both on 35, Bob Fosse, Cabaret and all that jazz. If you love movies, you love Bob Fosse usually, but he, I still think he's undersung as maybe one of the great editors that we've ever had. And Cabaret and all that jazz just show his amazing editing work with his editor, Alan Heim. Wednesday is our open mic short night, 2023, March, 2023. The theme for everybody who's entering in competition is song and dance. 
And this is the only time we've done a strict interpretation of theme. You either have to have an actual dance number or an actual musical number in your short. So those people who decided to do that, kudos and hats off. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I actually am writing a song, but I, I will see if I get there in time. On Thursday, we are doing two very weird musicals, but very fun ones from the outer realms, the incredibly strange creatures who uh, stopped living and became mixed up zombies. The first movie shot, I think in America by Vilmos Zygmunt and Laszlo Kovacs when they were escaping Hungarian oppression, they came and made a movie with Ray Dennis Steckler for almost no money that almost all takes place on one set that has musical numbers and is colorful and looks beautiful and is crazy. And we're also showing Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which is an 80s musical that is nuts and actually the filmmakers are going to come speak they're going to come join us for that so please join us for a crazy double and then i just have to shout this out friday march 31st we wrap up the month with 235s faster pussycat kill kill and russ myers beyond the valley of the dolls both on 35 millimeter which we're going to talk about in a future pod we're going to do beyond the valley of the dolls and roger ebert i'm sure i've probably said this in passing on a, a previous pod but my favorite bat bleep crazy movie is Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And there's a really big difference. There's so bad it's good. We even did a pod on this. There's so bad it's good, but then there's bat crazy, which means it is good. But it's like only that filmmaker could have made it. Most of Joe Yodorowsky's movies fall on this. Most of Russ Meyer's fall on this. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is a legit masterpiece. Legit. And Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, legit masterpiece. Anyway, Friday, March 31st, both on 35. Join us. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out our entire schedule at secretmovieclub.com. And uh, you can get tickets at eventbrite.com. And I can start announcing our April to June. Our Hitchcock returns April 8th. We are doing Suspicion and a 35 millimeter print of Marnie, which is a Hitchcock I love. I think it's probably, in my opinion, the last Hitchcock masterpiece. I love Frenzy, but there are parts that are good, but they're not great. But Marnie is out and out, I think, one of the undersung Hitchcock masterpieces. And we're doing that on 35. For 420, I'm very proud of this one. We are doing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I didn't want to do the obvious ones. I mean, you know, guy, like, I don't want to be like Pineapple Express, Cheech and Chong. It's like the stoner adjacent. Yeah, exactly. I'd like wanted something that would kind of surprise people because they were both movies made for pre-adolescence and adolescence. But Bill and Ted are clearly stoners. That's the beauty of it. If it's not, it's not explicit, though. It's a vibe, but it's not explicit. And by the way, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is a legit masterpiece. Oh, yeah, I agree. Maybe one of the best depictions of hell in any movie. Oh, totally. I've never been. So you guys should come join us for that. And then the very next day, we're finally doing our 12 Monkeys Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, both on 35 millimeter. And then the last one I'll announce right now, I am very proud of this one. I guarantee you Edwin will not be there and Connor will not be there. That's right. One of our white whales, Bellatar's Satan Tango. <laughs> All seven and a half hours, baby. Yeah. All seven and a half hours of Bellatar's Satan Tango. That is happening May 20th, Armed Forces Day. Saturday, May 20th, we are starting it at noon. First three hours, then we're taking lunch. Next two and a half hours, then we're taking dinner. Final two and a half hours. If you don't know about Bellatar's Satan Tango, it is a seven and a half hour movie with only 150 shots, often considered one of the great works of world cinema. One of the movies that if you're diehard, like 
I could, you know, someone who will occasionally put themselves through hell. You're not only in movies to be entertained. This is one of the movies that gives you like cinephile cred, but it's also a legit Tarkovsky level world masterpiece. Satan Tango. I'll see you there, Edwin. No, you will not. I will Bring no, your jammies. I would not be there for that. I'd be interested in watching it potentially. It just seems long, honestly. Yeah, that's it my, is that's, long. That's my bigger. I would just watch it at home. I think you could, yeah, you could probably trim a half hour off that. You could cut that a little bit. Seven and a half hours. Tighten that up. Saint Tango in the theater. I'm so excited. Happy third anniversary, guys. Hey. Happy anniversary, gentlemen. Let me get a uh, one of these going. Silence. <laughs> Do you not hear the... No, hear we the... can't hear your cues this time. Oh, okay. Something's going on. Today, we're talking about movies that you felt one way about when you were younger. And then over time, you know, it could be beautiful. It could be unsettling. It could be just sort of interesting in an introspective way. Your opinion about the movie and your reaction to it changed. Let me, let me go to my letterbox. There, there was one movie that I had a change of heart a little bit. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Fuck you, Daniel. You're, you're trashy slow nothing happened british trash movie i think it was in 2021 i think or 2020 way back when during the drive-ins we did a, a, a drive-in screening of greece and uh, i hated it at that point but until we showed it on 35 at the club it you know it got up to me i actually liked it a lot more this time but i don't think it's that great maybe because i need to see in the theater maybe because i need to see it on 35 no i i dug greece a lot more this time I, I dug it a lot and it changed my whole opinion on that movie, even though they're 30 year olds playing high school kids. And some of the dance numbers are pretty amazing. The songs are great. The one song I don't like is Grease Lightning. I don't know why. It just... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I know why. Because it's just, it's like a homage song. There's nothing original about it. Yeah, exactly. It was cool. It was cool to see Frankie Avalon, even though they wanted to get Elvis, uh, which could have been a lot better, honestly. But uh, yeah, no, Grease is great. I liked it a lot more. Sorry, it changed my opinion on on the whole damn movie. And why would he? Why do you think that was? Just because you saw it in the theater on thirty five? Maybe. Yeah, that's that's probably what it was. Why don't I want to see it outside, freezing to death? No, I want to see it in a theater the way it's meant to be. I I forgot the movie was two three nine. I didn't even know that movie was a scope movie. So it just made it a whole lot better for me. See, it's scope. What about your feelings about The Notebook before and after? Uh, Notebook can burn in hell forever. Edwin? Yeah. I have the video evidence. You were emotionally engaged with The Notebook. That was a different man, Craig. Those were different times. <laughs> this might be surprising, but the very first time I ever watched an Evil Dead movie, I watched Evil Dead 2 with my like, childhood best friend, Ben Schmidt. We watched Evil Dead 2. Neither of us really knew what to make of it. He, like, actively didn't like it, and I was pretty befuddled by it. I think I was kind of expecting it to be a little more straightforward. How old were you? Maybe, like, like 13, 14, somewhere around there. You know, because I didn't have an older brother. My entrance into, like, weirder movies was really just sort of the explosion of the internet and, like people finding all these like resources and stuff I, I didn't have you know like a local person to like sherpa me through weird stuff even though the evil dead movies i had, I had another friend ricky who really liked them who would tell me about them 
And I guess I had always thought they were going to be more serious for some reason. I guess if I had watched the first one, I probably would have. That first one probably would have been more. But we watched the second one because I remember going to the video store and there was a guy there. And I was like, I had never seen these. And he could tell I was like 14. I was with my mom. So she was the one actually renting it. And he was like, well, if you haven't seen them, you know, you're your age. I would recommend starting with Evil Dead 2. Even though I feel like now if I was him, I probably would have recommend Army of Darkness. I feel like that would have been probably the easiest to like grok at that age so to speak i just kept revisiting it over high school and then you know by the end of high school it was sort of in my blood it's interesting the way you set that up because the tone of evil dead 2 very much straddles the fairly straightforward horror of evil dead even though it's still a totally wacky movie in the best way but then army of darkness is an out and out comedy but Evil Dead 2 has that weird comedy horror tone. Do you think that's what you were trying to like? What is this? Yeah, I think maybe at that point I wasn't quite able to deal. Like, I think that was something that started to activate that love of that weird dichotomy for me of like when weird stuff. I mean, I, there was already stuff in my life that I liked that split that middle, you know, but usually it was a little more family friendly i suppose like a ghostbusters or something because that kind of straddles that line at certain points or um i think a lot about how much uh courage the cowardly dog probably influenced <laughs> a lot of stuff i like when i was in my past life when i was a tutor that's how i made my money I, we would talk and the kids in my class were like we were talking about things that effed you up and uh i'm not that way obviously i wouldn't swear in front of my kids but they said, watch Courage the Cowardly Dog. Had never heard of it because I'm from another generation. And I watched the one that was clearly a riff on Toby Hooper movies from the 70s where they go to some diner and they're like referencing Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Fun House and Eaten Alive or whatever. It's like the pig and the old people live in the house in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, this is straight up horrifying. Clearly parents in the 90s just trusted that if Nickelodeon put its logo on it, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, that show's great. <laughs> Those, well, that, I think that was that was Cartoon Network. That was that like prime, I mean, this might be my nostalgist talking with that prime Cartoon Network block. I think me and Daniel were the perfect age for with like Courage and Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, which that's a super under... This is kind of going off the rails in terms of what I'm talking about, but that's super underrated show. Mojo Jojo. There's an episode of Powerpuff Girls that's just Beatles references. That's really good. That's just like every line of dialogue is like a Beatles song or something. It does feel... It's like an era where like the creators were getting to do whatever they wanted and it was just put to air. Samurai Jack kind of came out of that era as oh, well. Man. And that's like an it's incredible show. show. That holds up so well. But I, I had one other thing to talk about in terms of opinions changing is that... One thing I love about Letterboxd, especially now that I've been using it for five or six years, is that I can look back and see what I thought about this stuff five years ago, like pretty precisely. And so I always keep a list that I update up until the Oscars each year of like my favorite movies. And then at that point, I don't touch it anymore. And so it's interesting to go back because I look at like I have a list from 2018 of what my favorite movies were and my number one movie that year a movie i still really really like is isle of dogs but i'm looking through the list and probably my actual favorite movie from 2018 is now 
which I had at number seven at the time, which is Spider-Verse, or at number six, the Suspiria remake. And that pretty consistently happens. Not all the time, but a lot of the times, like the movie that's like my fourth or fifth favorite movie of that year will usually end up being actually like my favorite. I think 2019 has kind of happened where I think the further I get away from 2019, I think Uncut Gems, which I think I had, I had like a little further down on my actual list, it might be my favorite from that year. It's just, it, it's interesting how that works, you know, like, Scott Pilgrim and Super, probably my favorite movies from those years, from 2010 and 2012. But the year that was, that was not my favorite movie from that year. I've been thinking about this a lot. And it's physics, actually. It's science. There's this alchemical thing that actually we don't think about a lot, which is that over time, things do change. They deteriorate or they reconstruct. I heard this weird conversation between Neil Young and Rick Rubin, and they were talking about in music when it was analog, you'd record the performance the day of on tape and you would, Neil Young would want to mix it right away because actually the tape itself would change and some of the tonality of the actual performance would degrade a little bit. And so if you came to mix that album a year later, it would be a little different. And that's not to say that uh, time always equals deterioration. I don't think that, but it does equal change. And I think the thing that's so fascinating is you can always see the big movie of that pop culture moment. And if you're honest, really intellectually, rigorously honest, you can remember the excitement. You can remember maybe being into it. You can remember how everybody felt. But then over time, that moment passes. And it may not be something that anyone ever returns to again. And then there could be this thing that everyone was really blasé about or didn't get. And then as everyone gets five years, 10 years to think about it, they're all like, oh, and then that's the thing they revisit the rest of their lives. And then, of course, age is the great alchemy. Though there are definitely things that I think are consistent, like Mad Max Fury Road ruled when it came out and it still rules. You know what I mean? It's still dope. And those, well, Godfather. Yeah, there's still the things that are, and those are the crazy things. Absolutely. Silence of the Lambs, I think, yep. is a good one. E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark. Lord of the Rings. I chose for my turnaround the movie thing as a whole director. Someone I was super, super cold on until just a few years ago, honestly. And it was Michael Mann. I had seen many of his movies growing up and always found them to be very boring. <laughs> and uninteresting and cold and was super confused by that because he was like beloved by peers and by critics I admired and just did not connect. And then I saw Collateral and was like, this is cool. Like, this is interesting. Like, this is not the Michael Mann I remember. And then I saw The Insider. So I should also phrase, I used to have a, this weird phase where I, I was very anti-Russell Crowe. He didn't do anything. Something about him was messing with my brain chemistry. Just his face and having to watch Les Mis. And then the nice guys turned me around on him. And so then I went back to watch The Insider and I was like, wow, this is this is something else. And so then I started going back through some of his stuff and I watched Thief and I was like, wow, Thief rules. Insider is probably my favorite. I think Insider is an undersung masterpiece of the, the time. I might agree. Insider or Collateral, I think, are my favorites. I might go Insider or Manhunter. Where's he? Where's he, man? He's the one I, I was very indifferent on that I have not revisited. I'm about to revisit it because I just bought Heat 2, the novel he published. I'm scared, but I'm ready. I, I didn't take enough notes, I guess, at the time to really understand why his stuff wasn't vibing with me. Because when I rewatch it now, it absolutely vibes across all levels of, of filmmaking and, and the script writing and the performances. So I'm not sure what wasn't clicking because I was, was trying. But I think that's my favorite thing about all types of art is I love how it changes. It's, it's bizarre. I love to come back to something and it is just 
something you didn't really think about and you come back to it and now it's like one of your favorite things. It's the coolest experience. Or if it changes, like you loved it and you come back to it and you're like, oh, I don't know if I love this anymore. Or the real nightmare, which is something I really have to walk a careful line with, is something you loved as a child that you revisit as an adult and it is an abomination. My example of that that's made me cautious to revisit a few other things in that realm was a movie I was obsessed with as a, as a kid was Robin Williams' Flubber. Loved that movie. Had toys from it. Had my little Weibo. Thought it was the best movie. Rewatched it like six or seven years ago. It's a it's a rough picture, as everyone would say. I just showed Craigie Flubber, and I haven't <laughs> seen it. But uh, when he gets up on Saturday mornings, I try to sneak in features for him. You know, like he did. He loved uh, Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, the Fox Robin Hood, that kind of thing. But I hadn't seen Flubber, but I had heard that Flubber had a script by John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I thought, oh, I'll kind of smuggle in a little John Hughes for Craigie. And then I went right back to bed. And then I woke up and <laughs> two dudes in a garage were beating up a robot with a bat. Yeah. There's a part where Flubber <laughs> goes into um, a guy's mouth and then comes out his butt. So like, it's nice. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> I think I would enjoy to watch it. Like Connor, if you screened it with a crowd, but like watching it on your own was very defeating. Oh, I'm sure. And I think the nostalgia thing's true. Like Connor was saying, there is something about like, if you saw something at a pinnacle moment, it is so tied to your existence that any conversation around it feels personal and you get a little bit like, I get fidgety, like I'm gonna have to fight someone. I do feel like I am self-aware enough to know the difference between a Raiders of the Lost Ark or a Spider-Man, which I loved when I was a kid, and a Power Rangers Turbo, the movie, which I also loved as a kid. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think I would go in with adjusted expectations. For- I always feel it's really important to be honest, and it is, obviously, but I don't like bagging on movies. It's just, it's so hard to make a movie. And now that I'm going through it, like I understand that viscerally, uh, even more so than I did before. So I'm gonna speak a little generally here because I just don't like bagging on people who have suffered to make their art. But I remember that there was a movie that I really thought was brilliant when I was a teenager. I used to talk about it and a lot of people still think it's brilliant. And then as I got older and it's just the alchemy of me, I would revisit it, and I will say, I'll, I'll drop this hint, we've programmed it, I think twice now. And I still love watching it, but I find that the filmmaker whose vision I thought when I was a teenager was really brilliant and biting and dark, now I find it to be a little petulant and childish and a little counterculturally like indignant and morally righteous in a way that doesn't actually feel as profound as I thought it was when I was younger. Like I really linked into the anger when I was younger and the the brilliance of the vision and the filmmaking. But then over time I was like, this is sort of a facile way of approaching this. And some filmmakers, it's the exact opposite. So that's just one thing that's interesting as you get older is being a teenager And like, maybe it was made for teenagers, you know, and seeing a filmmaker who has sort of an adolescent mindset. And as an adolescent, you're like, yeah. (laughs) And then you get 20 or 30 more years of life and you're like, still a good movie, you know, still would, if I had money, would give this filmmaker money to make a film, want to see this vision, but find that maybe not as profound as I thought, just me aging. And then the thing that uh, I would say that has grown with me, and this is such an obvious one, I'm so sorry to drop the cliche bomb, but it's just the one that I can speak the most about, (laughs) is 
Casablanca. But when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, which is when I think I first saw it, probably because my mom used to get us classic movies all the time or whatever, watch with my grandparents. I was 12, 13 or 14. And I think I found it a little slow and a little episodic. And I was like, what's going on? What's the thing with the passports? Oh yeah, it's got that line that everyone quotes. the beginning of a beautiful, okay. Why is that a great movie? I remember that was kind of what I thought. I didn't think it was bad. I enjoyed it, but I didn't understand why some people were like, uh, having orgasms about Casablanca. And then um, when I was in my 20s, 30s, I'll just ellipse the whole story. Yes, as you get older and you have some relationships, the whole theme of the one who got away or what happened, what went wrong there, that becomes very, very resonant. And then when Elsa walks back into Rick's, you viscerally are like, oh, yeah, now I get with so many people like this is their jam. Many people have the one that got away and what went wrong? What did I do? What was that? You know, and what would I do if I was back in the same room with that person? But then in my 30s, I had this epiphany about Casablanca, which is that many people hold it as one of the greatest romantic movies of all time, which it is. And the irony is that the two main characters make a very selfless decision not to be together. Which is ironic when you think about why do we go to see rom-coms or romance movies? We want to see them come together. We want to believe, sorry about that pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> we want to know that love works out, that we, we, we're going to have that relationship we dream of, that love is real and love is the thing we're going to, I mean, and, and all that I believe in, by the way. I, I'm not a cynic about any of that. But I think what's interesting about Casablanca is it's so powerful because actually I think they make the most selfless decision, which is that they're fighting fascism. They're fighting something that's going to destroy the world. And they put all of their personal desires to the side. And that's what brings them to life. And I, I believe in that fundamentally and spiritually, that you're at your most alive in a way and you feel the best when you're somehow able to transcend your ego and help other people. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to like talk out of my ass about this because I, you know, I fail at that most of the time. But I think that when you volunteer or you help weirdly, when you get out of your head, it is the time you're most alive and you're most like tapped into the energy currents of existence in the world and other people and connected to other people. And I think that Casablanca gets at that irony as you get older, you become more tapped into that energy thing. Wish I could say it better, but that's just a movie that the older you get, you're just like, holy moly, that's a brilliant film. There's stuff I love and then I love for different reasons too. Like I love staying on brand. I love Edgar Wright's The World's End, but when I revisit it, in the 10 years since it's come out, there's like things I see in people that I know or I used to know or like friendships that have faded that now become, they're funny, but also make you very sad. Where like this thing that exists is one thing and is perfect and, and goofy in its own merits. And then you revisit it and you're like, oh, actually that's not funny. That's really depressing because I know I felt that way or I seen I see these people and I love that. I think that's... That's my fave thing. That You mean with like that experience and then you go back and you're like, oh. You're like, oh, oops. Yeah. That's why I always like caution people not to poo-poo old people movies because I always say like, look, it may not be for you now, but be careful about making too much fun of it because you may get to be 60, 70, 80 if you're lucky and you may be like, oh. <laughs> That's why it's so resonant. And that's why all my, my grandparents and everybody went to go see it. I just wasn't there yet. And so I, th I think folks should always slow their roll when they bag on old people movies because uh, you're going to get there and be like, oh, 
I now see why that was so important. I like old people movies. I loved The Visit. <laughs> the Visit? That's the one with uh, the M. Oh, Night Shyamalan yeah. movie where the kids visit their grandparents. The Hansel and Gretel movie? Uh, yeah, it's an old person movie. <laughs> was the movie you wouldn't name, was that Pootie Tang, Craig? It was Who's My Caddy? Bill Clinton, one of Bill Clinton's favorite movies. So guys, three years of hell. Three years sober. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, Daniel, I think you and I have been secret movie clubbing for four years at least. 2019, right? 2018. Five years. Wow, that's up sorry you were one of the very first og the very first og wave when it was not just me was you casey and brie you guys were the first three to come on then the second wave was connor's wave which was connor steven and then edwin was towards the end of that i think i think casey brie and daniel were early 2018 and we were all like late 2018 and really roughly about that time also heather uh, who is always behind the scenes, but she's doing almost all of our design. How'd you get that job? <laughs> Heather Monahan, <laughs> who now is like, like everyone's seeing Heather's design work and they're hiring her. And I hope, I hope we don't lose Heather. Uh, full disclosure, my sister. Um, but I mean, she's, she's a brilliant talent she's great. Uh, and does, yeah, some of our greatest work. Uh, so Heather was part of that second wave. Since then, we've had Josh Oakley and Alex Olivier and Josh Salisbury, Marina Sakamoto, Elise Metcalf, Amelia Eichler, Mark Petit, Andrew Laterman. And uh, now we have a bunch of people who want to come join. And that's great. That regenerating aspect. Thank you all secret, all our designers that have designed posters that have worked with us, all our partners. What about the trailers, man? What about the trailers? What about me, man? Edwin, you've, me? you've saved Secret Movie Club so many times. Yeah. Could I, actually, could yeah. I say one more thing that's changed on me over time? Yeah. When I met Edwin, I thought he was just this guy at the Vista who talked a lot and always put a VHS or DVD on our table. And over time, it's really worn me down. Um, <laughs> and it's become a real day-to-day -day struggle for me. He has my phone number. He has my Instagram. And I just can't escape I can't escape him. And I know where you live. He has been to my home once. Horrifying. Do you see him sometimes like in movies where you wake up and then he's there like looking at you in the mirror of your bathroom and then you have to like. Ur. Sometimes when it's dark in our house, Kevin will bark into nothing. And I know it's back there. It's Edwin. He's trying to get my DVDs. He's dream walking. <laughs> Astral projecting. But Craig, don't, don't forget. Don't forget the so hard of the trailers and clips, man. Don't forget that. Yeah, man. Edwin and Connor, you guys have been killing it on the pre-shows. And so, guys, what's changed since you started your feelings about what a secret movie club in the pod and podcasting? Nothing has changed. Everything's still the damn same. Edwin's a static man. He's an eternal. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, Edwin. I I'm going to be very genuine here. Oh, God. Pre the podcast, I thought you were going to be like radio poison. I thought you were going to be really bad, and I think you're the best part of the podcast. Uh. Wow. Oh, thanks, man. You proved me wrong. I think we bonded a lot over weirdly over the podcast. And I think I became friends with you in a way that, you know, in real life, we wouldn't have become. Maybe it was like a forced thing. Like it was us being just <laughs> like Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, exactly. I think that might be part of it. But, you know, I, uh, I uh, love you guys. And uh, it's been really fun. And it's always the recording to me is always the most fun part of it. Once sometimes I hate you guys when I'm editing and I'm like, I wish they would have shut up. That's, <laughs> Craig. That's all Craig. Blame him. He's the one that talks too much. You would be surprised. Um, <laughs> I can't keep it short, man. You do keep it short.
typically. And I, I do talk too much. I'm sorry. Yeah, you do. You need to shut But the- it's been a lot of fun, honestly. I, I love the recording of it. One of the most consistent things. I've done podcasts before, but never to this extent um, for this long. It's cool. And I love you guys. I share that sentiment. It's, it's a joy to do this. Yeah. It is. In a weird way, I think this podcast embodies an aspect of what Secret Movie Club hopes to embody writ large, which is, and I want to say this the right way, because we do want results. We do want an audience. We do want to be financially stable. We do want to grow. All those things are true. But I do think when you do movies, your joy is in the act of doing. Hopefully you love making movies. You love that pure joy of, and not I want to have an Academy Award or I want, you know, result, result, result. That's sort of out of your hands a little bit. And I think recording the podcast has always just been pure joy, which is hopefully an embodiment of how we all feel about cinema. So great. (laughs) (laughs) No, I feel the same. I think speaking to Secret Movie Club, I think watching it evolve from a thing I was going to that was like once a week at midnight and then a thing that was I was working at. Like, what were we doing? At one point, I think summer 2018 was when it was like yeah. Friday night, summer Saturday 2019. nights, Saturday mornings. Kurosawa, Kaiju. Yeah. <laughs> Just chaotic yeah, in the best way. But also the the shift during the pandemic. I think the podcast was like instrumental, like just from my mental health during the pandemic, like consistent things to look forward to and have conversations about uh, when you felt so isolated was really nice. And then it's expanded and like kept kind of its demeanor and evolved through that as we've quote unquote come out of the pandemic to a degree or loosened up. And a shout out to, I'm not going to name them all, but all the other team members who have joined us over the years and to all the guests we've had. Yeah, I think it's it's very cool, like just looking in Slack to see like the realm of people that we get to work with and how weird it is that it was just like this thing that was happening and now we have a theater and we pivoted to drive-ins to survive and like made that work and expanded our audience somehow through that. But there's a lot of like crazy little milestones that have happened that are all because of everyone's work. And I think that's very cool. I used to be a really big podcast guy. And so I think there's a lot of like, you know, what do I want to hear in a podcast? And I don't know if I always deliver that, but I hope it's the case. Cause I think it, I'm very attracted to passionate people and friendships. I want people that love something. And I think it's very clear. The f- three of you love these things, even when we're little bitches to each other, it's all in a loving thing. And you need that. I think, and I hope that radiates in, in with the people that listen, because that to me is what makes it sincere. What always blows me away is when someone comes to a screening and they're like, oh, I heard you on the pod. Or you guys were talking, and I'm like, oh, yeah. people listen to it. <laughs> the funniest one, when they're like, I recognize your voice. And you're like, what? Someone brought up the great bikini off-road adventure to me this week when I was working the De Palma double. It was great. That's an enjoyable thing to hear. When you're like, oh, it is a dialogue. It is an interaction. Thank you. My biggest concern is that I love Secret Movie Club. It's been a joy to grow it. And there are so many plans and dreams and visions for it becoming a bigger community thing, truly being democratic and egalitarian, truly hopefully being part of the story of cinema and all those things. And it's a joy to fight that day-to-day fight. But I'm very angry at myself because there are a lot of things that I do horribly. Mm. And (laughs) Edwin agrees. There's this great thing Lao Tzu says in one of his things in the Tao Te Ching, that true long life is truly living out your days. That's true long life. They translate it differently, and that's my favorite translation of it. You know, he has this, to understand others is to be knowledgeable. To understand yourself is to be wise. To conquer others is to have strength. To conquer yourself is to be strong. To know when you have enough is to be rich. To move forward with strength is to have ambition. 
to not lose your place is to endure and to truly live out the end of your days. That's truly long life. And I think the way I interpret that is that people who are dynamically, actively, always trying to learn, trying to be better, trying to grow, trying to be critical of themselves in a good way, not in a self-destructive way. That's true long life. You live every day of your life. And so there's so many things, so many things, the majority of things we can be doing better. I can be doing better, truly business-wise, financially, growth-wise, delegation-wise. You know, this is my prayer to God in the universe. I just hope that that's not lip service. I want to see this year those things happen. So over time, I've been happy for our growth and excited, but I've also been disappointed because I failed a lot. Truly, truly failed. And that's part of it. That's part of life. It's not, I'm not averse to failure. I, I accept that that's the, you know, two steps forward, two steps back, whatever. But there's a point where you'd like the ratio to be two steps forward, one step back, and not two steps forward, one and three quarters of a step back. And so I hope to have more steps forward than steps back. Pop culture, final thoughts. Who wants to go first? All right. I guess, um, uh, guess I'm in. Watching a lot of pictures, a lot of great <laughs> pictures. I was at the Cinematic Void Marathon at the Arrow Theater, watching some pretty fun, great motion pictures. First movie right off the bat, Walter Hill's The Warriors. Saw it on 35, freaking amazing. Best experience ever. And after that, an Italian piece of shit movie called Beyond the Darkness. And then after that, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Finally, after years of waiting. I got to see it on 35 in its entirety. And also, Toby Hooper's The Fun House on 35. Scope, loud as hell. Toby Hooper loved screaming. That's a legit great movie, The Fun House. No, it is. It's amazing. I loved it a lot this time. Um, also, this is one of the guy's favorite movies. A movie called Joysticks. Trash movie. Awful. Expensive. Weird. And after that, Chuck Norris. Silent Rage. Kicked ass. Loved it. But you won't show it because you don't have to get the guts. And the last movie, sadly, was a movie called Burial Ground. Uh, that prank came from Grindhouse. It looked, it looked good, but other than that, not great. Seven movies! One day. Boom. In your face. That's solid. I've been watching some films. Uh, some notable ones. I went to go see Titanic in 3D because I needed to know. Oh, speaking of movies that have come around on, I love Titanic when I saw it and then spent like 15 years being like, hey, you know, it's Titanic, it's whatever. And then I rewatched it during the pandemic and it's kind of a masterpiece. Oh yeah, it's legit. Infuriatingly so. And then I went to go see this 3D version and got kind of annoyed that even the 3D kind of works. Like Cameron knows what he's doing in ways that like kind of make me mad. Like the artists he works with to make these things happen are so talented that it's infuriating. And I commend them for making me love things that I am so adamantly against to a degree. And then I also went to go see Return to Soul, which would highly recommend. It's a, about a, a girl who is adopted from South Korea when she's a baby by French parents. And she returns to Seoul uh, in an attempt to kind of find herself and her birth parents. And it's very sad and beautiful. And the lead, Park Ji-min, is new and her performance is, is incredible. It's one of those weird ones that like released last year for like awards contention, but is only now coming out to theaters. So it's like technically a 2022 release, but it's very, very good. And then I also saw Scream 6, which I also dug. It was Scream cool. Yeah, it was fun. Scream rules. For a slasher franchise to have six entries and have yet to 
totally completely embarrassed themselves the way that pretty much every by like like freddy's dead the final nightmare might be one of the worst movies i've ever seen and i'm pretty <laughs> gracious towards movies scream's doing good it's a good time it's it's interesting to kind of watch it get passed on to like this new generation of filmmakers who like seem to to get it in ways that feel like they're doing their own thing on top of it all. I'll cross off a few things on my little, I got a big old ledger down here. Um, I revisited They Came Together, the Michael Showalter, David Wayne written, David Wayne directed rom-com spoof, and it's really held up well. It's a lot of fun. I would say it's worth a revisit and stands not quite as good as Wet Hot, but it stands close in terms of being like on that level. If you like Wet Hot American Summer, I played, I ran a game of the Green Knight RPG that A24 published. I would recommend that, especially if you're new to RPGs because it's a pretty simple system, kind of based on honor and dishonor. I saw Too Fast, Too Furious at the Academy Museum in that giant David Geffen theater. It was actually never been there before. It's like a giant sci-fi like orb <laughs> built to watch movies in. That's my territory, so watch out. What are you, a dog? You urinate <laughs> around the theater so that people Look, can't go I, in I it? have a Pacific scene in that theater. I own that theater. It's my territory. Why don't you calm down? That's a theater for the people, homie. It's a museum. It was there as a part of a John Singleton series, and his normal storyboard artists, Warren Drummond, and sound editors, Bobby Banks and Greg Hedgepath, were there. And Tyrese was supposed to be there, and they did this bit where they were like, oh, he couldn't make it. it they were like, oh, he's not here. And then we heard from behind us, from the back of the auditorium, no, he is. And then Tyrese emerged <laughs> and walked down to the stage to thunderous applause. And it was great. I, I think that movie is an underrated camp classic that is worth a revisit now that we're kind of into maximalism again as a society. You can follow me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash Nerdhollow. I will just shout out how much I love, I had never seen it before, the Sally Fields movie Norma Ray, which she got the Academy Award for in 1979. Directed by Martin Ritt, who I immediately went back to see what, you know, he did HUD. He did The Front with Woody Allen. He did Ombre. And then he, he did more movies. But watching Norma Ray, which is just a great movie, period. I wrote a blog about it because it's a kind of movie making that needs to come back, that I believe can come back. But you watch it and you're like, wow, it's just a different era, a different time. A two-hour movie about a woman becoming a union organizer in the South and her relationship with the Jewish union organizer from New York who comes down there to organize them. And it totally leads you to believe it's going to go one direction. And then in a very 70s cinema way, keeps frustrating that expectation in a really interesting way. Scenes are really shaggy dog in the best kind of way. Sally Field is incredible. Bo Bridges has a great role in it. And it's shot by John Alonzo, who did Chinatown and Scarface and like great DP, has all these amazing handheld wonders in the factory. And I just was watching and I was like, wow, this is a two hour character study about a very imperfect woman becoming a union organizer. And it's great. So Norma Ray, totally inspiring. Check it out. All right, guys. Happy three. What do you what do you give someone on your third anniversary? Let me look it up. Probably something nasty. Oh, Rachel and I just celebrated our third wedding anniversary too. Oh, it leather. 
Nice. Hell yeah. Room, room, leather daddies right out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we write it down, gentlemen. Hey, guys, I'm taking you all to rough trade. You can all uh, you can all pick an item. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Happy third anniversary. Wow, that's all sorts of wrong. I just want to sit in a theater where we're all wearing leather and it's really quiet and you just hear like the... Like the like that beautiful movement. Oh, behave! There we go. I heard it. There you hey, go. the soundboard came alive. Secret Movie Clubbers, you can see our entire schedule uh, tonight. It's the Led Zeppelin song remains the same, and this is Spinal Tap tomorrow. Uh, although we're recording this early, I think tomorrow, March twenty fifth, Seven Samurai Kira Kurosawa at the Million Dollar Theater may become the biggest event we have ever done in our history. God willing, knock wood. I mean, always got to be humble about that. It's going off. Uh, so join us for that and a bunch of other things. You can see our April to June, our spring uh, season. By the time you hear this, will be almost fully launched. Write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. Go to secretmovieclub.com. Get tickets at Eventbrite. Our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, has edited this podcast. Podcast 144. You know, there are always these really interesting subgenres in cinema. And so we're going to do the body swap genre, which like comes in and out of fashion. Interestingly, it goes back at least to a Vincent Minnelli movie called Goodbye Charlie that starred uh, Tony Curtis from the 1960s. But body swap movies, I'm sure, are in literature and where suddenly you're somebody else. And basically it's the like literally learn to walk a mile in someone else's shoes kind of genre. So, you know, there are classics, Freaky Friday, Jodie Foster, and Edwin went off because uh, he has got a bunch of VHS tapes that embody different body swap movies. And he is insisting we all meet at the club tonight to, uh, I don't know, look at these VHS tapes and go through them. And I don't know why we're indulging and spoiling Edwin, because it only makes him feel like he has license to do more. But we're all going down there. I hope you guys all can make it. We're going to see Edwin's body swap VHS collection. And uh, that's next week's podcast. So uh, we'll uh, see you then. As always, thank you guys. Have a great week. I love you, family. Of course. That sucks. Hi. I missed the part, but that's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) And it's over.